0: Welcome to another episode of Watch the Game, presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host Sam Blazer, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Jeff vayette Jeff, how you doing today, buddy?
1: It's become always now. That's uh, that's a neat honor, but I'm good. It's uh, A little sleepless, but um, but hockey goes on, and uh, I'm glad to be back again.
0: I know. Is that was that too much of an assumption that I uh, we're having you on almost every episode? I guess.
1: We'll see how it goes. You never know. Um, <laughs>
0: Jeff, Jeff is keeping his options open, and I, I now feel like a scorned lover. Very, very I may, uh,
1: I'm a restricted free agent. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll sign an offer sheet somewhere.
0: Hey, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. But a lot of news uh, around the NHL. Uh, Cam has an interview with George Richards later on to talk about the Florida Panthers situation. So we'll get to that a little later on. But uh, a few things recently kind of thrown off uh, what's been happening in the hockey world. One that I saw last night that I saw you mention was what was going on with Andrew Shaw's uh, temper tantrum. That I don't really know what's going on with him as a player. He's always been fairly good on the ice, uh, at least from some metrics. But he is almost untethered, right? There's, there's something really going on with him.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's weird with him. Uh, he's you can go back and forth on this people who are fans of him will say oh well he's very passionate about the game and in a respect if you take each incident and you ins- and you isolate it as a single incident then yes uh like last night he uh i believe he scored montreal's only goal last night um he took a penalty that he wasn't very happy with uh for about 30 seconds left in the game and uh understandably a little frustrated um Now, like, smacking your stick on the glass, snapping it on your your leg, getting tossed out of the penalty box, and then taking down the entire stick rack. Um, I mean, that's a YouTube moment. Uh, Tuka Rask went through a milk crate. Like, that that happens. But the thing is, like, this isn't Shaw's first rodeo. This is something that's been happening not super regularly but relatively regularly over the past few months. And that's when you start to wonder um, where exactly uh, his head is at
0: a lot of people were jumping on the bandwagon talking about how, you know, the Canadians traded someone because they didn't like his personality and you know now they have Andrew Shaw on the team. A lot of times when those bandwagons are there and they're kind of piling on someone, I'm, you know, kind of scoffing and saying, you know, let's just take a deep breath and revisit this at another time. But this is a, I think a legitimate like what are you trying to go after? If you're trying to go after, you know, get have some truculence there, you know, that's something that I guess you could go for putting that instead of skill is idiotic. And he obviously does have some skill to his game, but if he's going to keep doing this, this is, this could become, you know, another terrible moment for the league. And I think the way that he's been acting, uh, isn't a good look despite, you know, his passion, right? Am I, am I wrong yeah. on that?
1: Yeah, no, that's, that, that, that's fair. I mean, obviously there's going to be a middle ground here. Um, there are some people who look at what happened yesterday and go, oh, well, he had no regard for others, for example. But like tunnel vision happens. Trust me. I, I know some of us have had those moments. I look at the uh, the door in my bedroom and there's a uh, there's a sizable dent uh, from a uh, from a moment where I just was really, really angry about something. But it's a moment that I can reference as, hey, that happened once, like years ago. And it hasn't happened since it's not a regular thing. Everybody has those moments where something just sets them off sometimes a good reason and and you pass it on it's it's when it becomes. A regular thing and where do you draw the line or is that player who you feel has passion for the game if you feel that's setting a good example is that what you want other players to do do you want them to mimic it so that way they can get that kind of uh positive treatment from from the coaching staff from the media etc cetera, etc cetera? then you then you create that environment then you create an environment where players um feel the need to to, to go a little over the line even, even during the games. And if you encourage Shaw to keep doing it, what happens when he does that to a player? What happens when he gets really mad in a scrum and crosses the line and just starts wailing on a guy? Not saying he necessarily will, um, but if this is a moment where his emotions um, get carried away and he goes into a tunnel vision state, then you don't know what'll happen. You can't let that be a consistent thing?
0: No, without a doubt. And I think that you know, when you're around other people, young players, you know, this is an instance where it's just not a, a good role model either. this is something they can rub off on someone, and they don't know where the line is. Maybe Shaw does know where the line is, and he knows not to cross it. But we've known and we've seen in the past that he is, uh, you know, a habitual line crosser. So he'll he'll obviously be a fun uh, storyline to follow throughout the year because. It just seems like he's on edge, and you know, changing teams isn't doing anything to help that, and he's not, you know, being reeled in at all. And I, I wonder if it's going to just keep continuing there. But switching from the Montreal Canadiens, who have had a good season, and they have, you know, untethered Andrew Shaw. Let's talk about the Nashville Predators. After a slow start, they actually have pulled a lot of this together. Pekka Rene has had an absolutely outstanding November: nine, one, and two, one point five goals against average. Um, 950 save percentage ryan johansson had one of the more bonkers goals i have ever seen last night uh skating around everybody basically doing it all on one leg what are your thoughts on the predators is this the predators team that people thought they were going to see or is this just going to be a flash in the pan
1: i mean i think you're starting to get there the, the the thing is like we have our early season predictions and they they will always go a little awry over the first couple of games and now that we're hitting the 20 30 game um mark that's when that's when you see teams develop their chemistry that's where from the spreadsheet side of the game that's where you start seeing correlations with winning and and projections throughout the year on a lot of major statistics too um and in a lot of cases a lot of guys are starting to even out percentages now that hasn't been the case of everybody in Nashville. Um, i'm just taking a quick look at uh at where everybody's at in their scoring race and you see philip forsberg who's tied for first in playing with johansson But uh, two goals on the year, shooting at 4.2%. And that's not something you expect to last. This is Philip Forsberg. It's a guy who scored 33 goals last year. It's a guy who scored 26 the year before that. It's a guy we reliably expect to be shooting at about triple his rate. And it it hasn't happened yet. Um, But that stuff's all starting to click for them. It's good to see it. Whether they can be the competitor that a lot of people thought that they had a chance to be this year... I don't know, uh, there's, they there. they did lose a bit of ground at the start of the year, and I, I just, I will never rely on Pecorine, um, <laughs> he could be, he can be a great goalie at times, um, an absolute dominant goalie at times, but then it evaporates so fast, he is the ultimate swing up, swing down, and seeing him with nearly 80% quality starts and a Vesna, well, Vesna outside of Price, caliber 934, um, I hope it works. I don't know if it's <laughs>
0: the, the, the high-pitched voice there going, I hope it works. I don't know. <laughs> is pretty much all you really have to say about them. The, their defense is strong. They have good forwards. They have a, a core that I think is pretty you know, stable, at least for the next few years. And Pekka Rene is the obvious uh, hole in that boat, I think. And him doing what he's doing right now is a very good sign, but that also means what the heck are you going to get later on? You don't know what you're going to get from him. And he, it's kind of like, uh, uh, what, Forrest Gump and a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. That's essentially Pega Rene. One night he shows up and he's absolutely unstoppable, stops all the pucks in the world, and now he can't, and then he won't be able to stop anything. And I think he's the weak link. And I, I hope, for at least Predators fans' sake, that they improve that position at some point in time. But with the way Rene's contract's set up, that's not going to be happening anytime soon
1: yeah it might be a while for them uh as as far as a backup goes they probably need to look into someone this year like saros has had two good games but uh but it's hard to put your to to throw all your eggs in the 21 year old's basket uh Masinic, i don't think is really much of anything he didn't impress me too much in the AHL last year he's been pretty weak in his performances this year and yeah we, we, with rene like you look at his past few years and i think it's if you if you look at just before this year three of his last four he had a below league average uh, say percentage um, he didn't get above uh, I think a 53 percent quality start uh, percentage in three of those four years uh, he had that one dominant 2014-15 and that's that's what it is a free and A's. you have that every two three years where he just comes in and says I'm the boss takes everything over and then kind of dissipates again like this is a guy who, you look at the last couple of years, he had three years where he was a top 10 uh, in hard voting, top three in Vesna voting, and then the other years on this list, he basically was making his team lose. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and there, it's odd that there's no in-between for him. Now, I think there's another player out there um, that I think is on the good side, but for whatever reason is on the management's bad side, and that's Dougie Hamilton with the Calgary Flames, Bradley Living today uh, came out and said that the rumors surrounding um, him were completely false. W- what do you think about that? I mean, you've had some experience covering Burke before, um, obviously, you know, doing what he's doing over there with the Flames. Do you think that Dougie Hamilton's really on the block right now? Or is this just kind of people, you know, bored because there hasn't been a real big trade thus
1: far? Um, the, the, this is the thing with Berkey. Uh, he went on this really, like, it, it, it's an all-timer rant on... Uh, on tsn50 i'm not sure if you you heard it but the gist of it is um he was very annoyed about the leaks the leafs are always involved in these leaks um the people who leaked it have no goddamn idea of what they're talking about um he would not give up hamilton who he says skates like a deer i don't really know if that's a compliment but <laughs> right <laughs> but uh when i think skates like a deer i'm thinking of bambi so oh no uh, doubt. And uh, he says he he said effect- effectively uh, that there was a trade offer made to him. It was extremely insulting uh, that they have no interest in moving him. But that team wouldn't said that they had talked about him, so he became available in the internal market, and uh, that he would trade him if like someone offered twenty first round picks. Uh, because Wayne Gretzky's been traded, and anything can happen, and they will obviously listen, but they don't intend to move him now. Here's the thing. Last year, you look at Subban, almost tying back to Nashville. And well, it wasn't Burke, Bergevin was very similar in how he spoke a week before the trade. Uh, his his quote was, it's not even listening to offers. It's taking calls when a GM calls me. I don't know what he's going to call me about. So I answer the phone. Yes, I've received calls on PK, but I'm not shopping PK Suben. I can tell you that. And when he was asked if it was realistic that a trade could happen, he said no. Seven days later, actually six days later, that trade happened. Um, When people start calling, there's always going to be a conversation. And sometimes saying that you're taking in calls and not looking to, uh, to trade a player is in a way a form of politicking where you say, "Okay, well, I want this guy, but I don't I want to move this guy, but I don't want anyone to know it. I want the, the value to be perceived as high, so I'm not in a position of weakness. I don't know if Hamilton's necessarily being actively sold. I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually on that market, and this is a way of the Flames regaining control of the situation, because when you have a young, pretty top-end defenseman like that, and you're the one who's seen in the position of weakness, that can only go poorly. Um and it's not the first time Burke's played with the media. I remember back in 2009 where he, where he decided that the Leafs were getting John Tavares. They were absolutely getting John Tavares. So he publicly went and said he's going to trade up for the first overall pick. Uh, his thought was if he set it out in the open, teams would, uh, w- would get into the conversations with him. He can make the trades up just like he did in 1999 at the Sedins. Uh He even used the same, well, Wayne Gretzky got traded line as, conf- as, a, as a form of confidence to say, hey, it's going to work. Uh, it didn't work. But the Leafs got Nazem Kadri out of it, so it, it didn't work out too bad for them. Uh, but yeah, Burke's always been someone to one be uh, be prone to, to blowing up to the media when he believes in something, and two to indirectly use the media as a form of negotiation.
0: Yeah, I find a lot of times the the insiders that you know the the Friedmans, the Dreggers, the McKenzies, overall like they aren't going to put something out there unless they hear a rumble about it. That that's something that I feel like a lot of fans have trouble with is that, you know, if they hear something, I mean, it's out there, it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to happen. And I I do believe that the Hamilton talk is out there and that they're concerned about it because they want to use him in, you know, different roles and if he's not, you know, paired with somebody, you know, well, first off, he's been paired with a lot of AHL level players. And when he's finally been getting paired with players like you know Giordano or Brody or things like that, he's you know getting nearly a point per game. This makes sense <laughs> if he has someone that he you know can rely on and he doesn't have to worry about covering the butt of you know an a- AHL level player. Then he's going to be a OK. I think trading him at this point in that contract is idiotic. the The Flames uh, aren't they're not in a rebuild. They're kind of a rebuild. We talked about this during the Thanksgiving episode when we talked about what they should be thankful for. We, I'm not totally sure where they are, but I know that out of everything, I do know that trading Dougie Hamilton is a poor decision unless you get something much, much more than what they got um, in the, uh, what they traded away in the Bruins deal. They, are do you think brian burke is going to trade him like fi- final say if you had to put your money anywhere do you think that he- dougie hamilton's gonna be traded this year
1: uh it, it, it's so hard well first off it would be Brad living tra- trading him i'm just gonna stress that because burke made the point to stress that he is not the gm of the calgary flames i he's probably more involved than he yeah. wants to say but he's but he's not we're gonna we'll, we'll pretend that it's Brad living making the decision and it very well maybe uh do i do i think it'll happen I don't know. I think especially now with the way that it's spun out of control, uh, it might not happen out of spite, not just on Berkson, but if Toronto really is the other team that uh, is in the discussion, then that probably strikes them out too. They are, Since Lou Lamorello has come in, they have not been a team that has done too nicely with uh with speculation being being brought out very rarely have they followed through on something that's been speculated on because of that and most of the rumors most of their transactions haven't had any form of leakage Uh, the way to see a leaf trade get broken is to go on the leaf pr page that's just been their mantra um so if that's if those are the two teams connected it won't happen purely out of spite now if (laughs) it's another team involved um you never know. At this point, I think if the Flames are able to regain that position of strength in a, in a negotiation, then maybe it'll happen. I think they, they clearly want to win the trade. I don't think it's a case where they just need to move on from the player. I think it's a case where they want to use an asset... To, to upgrade if they don't see a route to upgrade or and they genuinely don't feel their team is being made better by the move uh they won't do it they're not they're they are not they they have not locked into trading dougie hamilton they just see him as something that uh could be a potential way to get other pieces
0: no for sure the way you just like lay that out was absolutely perfect it- at this point, if, you know, you hear his name out there, then I think that, you know, the teams that are supposedly going to be interested are just going to back away now. But, you know, talking about the Leafs a little bit more, and I think I'm going to give the floor to you. What, what did you think of that McDavid-Matthews uh, affair last night? Was it everything that you hoped for and more?
1: Uh, it was a quality game. I mean, it, it, it's funny thinking about it because of how much talk was put about, put on what the matchups would be like. It's almost like the least played into the narrative a little bit. And it's almost like Todd McClellan kind of fell into it. In, if for those who aren't as leaf savvy, what happened in the last game was that Nazem Kadri basically shadowed Connor McDavid, uh, isolated him, kept him off the scoreboard, and even scored the overtime goal by, well, probably clutching and grabbing McDavid. He probably should have got a penalty, uh, but that's besides the point. He scored the goal by beating McDavid, and it became this big deal. That's when people started accepting that Nazem Kadri is this great shutdown center, even though he's been pretty good at play-driving his entire career uh so the rematch became this big deal was was he is he going to do it again uh now that it's in Edmonton the Leafs don't get last change things get a little bit more complicated how are the Oilers going to respond are they going to try to put McDavid against weaker players how is this all going to play out and the media got on McClellan's case before the game they got on Babcock's case before the game and then ever so curiously William Nylander was on the fourth line playing center I think at that point, Leafs almost won the battle right then and there because it was made publicly aware first off. Babcock immediately said that he would be drawing in in that spot, mostly playing it as, well, he missed the last game due to injury. Uh, we didn't want to mess with the dynamic of the team too much, so he's playing with Ben Smith and, and Matt Martin. What really ended up happening was that line didn't really play a heck of a lot together. Nylander played his share of minutes, but mostly played on the power play. Um, Martin played maybe six, seven minutes the entire game. Smith played about 12, but half of his were on the penalty kill. They were there. So that way McClellan and co thought, okay, well, there, there isn't really, there isn't really a place that we can put him where he's purely going to rip, uh, rip a a line apart. You can put him against the Bozak line, but there's a good chance that they will score back at you. Um, Now, obviously, McDavid is arguably the best player on Earth. I would would match him against literally any line in hockey. But when you start overthinking it, that's when it becomes a bit of a problem. And I think that's what, what the Leafs ended up setting up. And what ended up happening was... McDavid was more or less just rotated through because they never really knew who Toronto was going to put in. Uh, The Nylander line became basically non-existent after about three minutes into the second period and they ran three lines throughout the game. And then late in the game when they knew McDavid was going to start getting double shifted to try to get those goals – that's when Kadri was rested. He was able to get out at the same time as him, and he was able to repeat the same process again. McDavid ended up getting a goal out of it, and Matthews had his goal earlier in the game, too, to add to the whole uh, first overall, all pick, big hype, um, spectacular. But uh, it worked out. It was it was well played strategy. Um, I would love to see these two teams play more against each other. There's so much skill on both sides, and I would love to see a game where it's less narrative-driven and they just play hockey and just go completely unhinged. Uh, but that was still super, super entertaining to watch. I think uh, I think tonight's game against Dougie Hamilton and the Calgary Flames will be a little bit um, a little bit disappointing by comparison, just because there isn't the big spectacle attached to it.
0: I, the one thing I miss, or you know, I wish was here in this small market NHL uh, arena, is the amount of media involvement. It it seemed like yesterday. It was it was just a huge cauldron, and they were just like stirring it all up. They they were like anything that they can put out there, they're going to, and they wanted people to pick up on it and get angry. I I, I thought it was kind of wonderful by that by that measure, just because this is not even talking about the game, but talking about how. Everyone got involved in getting excited for the game. It seemed like everyone was like, okay, here's the deal. We're going to put this out about Nylander, and we're going to have this to say about this player, and we're going to get under the skin of both uh, McClellan and Babcock. And that's just – I know that the media is there to report – But when media members do that kind of stuff, there's something fascinating about that because it's almost like they have their hand in it. And I think a lot of times that's why a lot of reporters are as pompous as they are because they feel like, you know, that they're a puppeteer in these type of situations. And I think that it went out flawlessly because just like you said, there was a lot of matchups there that I think Todd McClellan was expecting or Babcock was expecting. And Babcock was just taking advantage of McClellan's uh, line matching when he could because Overall, depth-wise, the Oilers don't have what the Leafs have. They just don't. And uh, I know that you're probably over there smiling right now and being like, "Yes, yes, this is this is the best." Keep talking about the Leafs and how great they are, but they really are. When you look at that lineup, even their line with Bozak, uh, young Bozak, it's still very, very good. And I don't know how the uh, how they're going to proceed with you know him and Van Riemsdyk moving forward. But even those old like the older players, older in quotes, they're uh they're still performing rather well. And I like seeing this Leafs team and if they keep getting some good goaltending from Frederick Anderson, they're gonna they're gonna be a very, very happy organization and and there's gonna be more people ju- uh, you know, jumping onto your hashtag, Jeff.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the Leafs are actually good, so I I, I don't know why no why people wouldn't. Yeah, no, they're they're close. They're a super super skilled team. Freddie seems to be in a state where he's confident in net again. They all, all all they really need now is to kind of close up the uh, close up the defense. If only there were a uh, a young right handed defenseman um, hmm. Hmm. to uh, to acquire from a team that they're about to face. But, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, In the meantime, it's just been the most fun to watch. Win or lose, they the puck bounces around so much between the two teams uh the Leafs and whoever they're facing that you you just can't take your eyes off the screen they are hockey's most entertaining team right now they are hockey's most entertaining team in a long time and it's really cool seeing the Leafs be something that people care about for reasons other than misery or jokes
0: <laughs> no I I've I've been there before and I actually co-opt your uh, Leafs are actually good in the past couple of games with the Blue Jackets I've put the Blue Jackets are actually good and I think that by the same token, they're, they're, these are two separate clubs. You know, at least now talking about my hometown team, the Blue Jackets. The past eight games have won the score adjusted Corsi battle. And these are against teams like the Capitals, the Rangers. These are these aren't teams that are you know pushovers by any stretch, and they're actually improving. And I am interested to see how these two teams go because the Blue Jackets keep on winning. The Leafs are you know improving and they're starting to win as well. I I would love to see those two, two two teams end up facing off at some point, and I'll be interested to see that that because the, the Blue Jackets are you know moving up ice as quickly as they can, but they don't have the personnel, but the Leafs do, and I would love to see the dynamic between the two of those teams. And I'm sure at that point in time when the, that game takes place, we'll uh, end up having a nice healthy bet, right?
1: Uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, we um, I I, I I'm, I'm just not looking forward to. Uh to hearing Marner versus Wierinski about 4,000 times that night because uh, that will be the thing. We had that with the, the Carolina game where it was like, Marner, Hennepin, Marner, Hennepin. And it was – it, was, it wasn't really – Oh,
0: I thought you were going to say uh, Marner and Dubinsky. No, no. <laughs> and Dubinsky, you know, cross-checking the back of his head. No, I I don't like that at all. But I, I, mean, I love those kind of matchups where it's two different – stylistically they're just different and i think it'll be fun to watch them and i'm sure the leafs will end up tearing them apart but that's neither here nor there and we don't have to worry about that for a little while yet
1: yeah. well i meant um, mostly the draft day narrative not so not no. so much how they matched up
0: no for sure for sure um now before we get to our uh interview with where cam is talking to george uh, richards of the miami herald um you can follow uh me at Sam underscore blaze. You can follow Jeff. If you go to the TLN DC, um, you'll see, uh, all that stuff over there and see his Twitter account. Um, you can follow cam at Coom, um, s- send us some messages on Twitter. Let us know who you'd like to have on, um, for, uh, the show on Friday. Apologize for the lack of the Monday show. Um, obviously there was something going on in Columbus, Ohio, very scary. And then it was tough to get everybody on board from there. And I was obviously had my mind elsewhere. But you should be seeing the consistent Monday, Wednesday, Friday shows from now on. Jeff may be, may be participating, may not. Who knows at this point? He's keeping his options open. I don't blame the guy. But uh, with that being said, oh, you got, you got something to say, Jeff? I, I heard you breathe in there. You're like, here's the deal. I got a statement to make.
1: I was gonna say my cost is twenty first round picks. Oh,
0: I, I good.
1: <laughs>
0: I I had something like really glib and mean to say there, but I was like, you know what? I I'm just going to move on to this interview with uh, Kim. We'll be right back.
2: So we're welcomed by George Richards of the Miami Herald. George, how's it going? Oh, I'm
3: doing great. How you doing?
2: I'm doing uh, pretty good. A little bit uh a little bit confused by all the things that have uh, happened in the past few days in Florida. So I guess yeah. I'll give a quick background to those who I guess if anybody hasn't been paying attention to the Panther situation recently. Uh, The Florida Panthers, after their most successful regular season in franchise history, have fired their head coach, Gerard Gallant, and he's being replaced by Tom Rowe, the current GM and apparent leader of the organization's analytics renaissance. In your words, uh, I guess, what's going on?
3: Well, you know, the uh, ownership decided to make a change. Tom Rose taking over the team, uh, uh, coaching the team, and giving up his GM duties for the most part uh, to concentrate on the coaching. Um, You know, kind of a weird scene with the Panthers right now. They weren't playing that badly. They weren't playing that good either. But, um, you know, they were kind of keeping their head above water. They've had some injuries. Um, Ownership decided that they had too much talent to to be kind of, you know, just – Sitting at 500 as they have all year. Um, A very average looking team. Uh, My argument is it's very early in the season. Their argument is well, we don't want to waste any more time before this thing gets too far gone. So, um, you know it's one of those things uh you know gerard Gallant will be fine he did a great job with the florida panthers took a last place team his first year got them into the playoff hunt second year won a division set franchise records so so he'll be okay um we'll just have to wait and see how this how this hand you know how the panthers handle this moving forward
2: right so this must have been kind of an odd situation for you i read on twitter that uh, you and, um, Harvey Feilkov are, you know, two of the beat writers that usually travel and report on the team. But on Sunday, you guys weren't, um, you guys didn't join the team on the trip. What, uh, what, happened in that situation?
3: Well, it was a Sunday night game, you know, back to back games. It is just, you know, you know, times are, times are tough with travel money. So you kind of got to have to pick your spots where you go, um, that kind of thing, it, you know, just didn't make sense to go to carolina that's basically it right so i mean uh
2: there's nothing to read into there at all it's not oh
3: no 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 we just you know i haven't been traveling that much this year because we had some we had some travel we have some some travel budget concerns um but for carolina basically if if, you know if they would have played if they hadn't played saturday night at home i probably would have been in carolina but the fact is they played at home on saturday on the road on sunday and then go to chicago you know kind of a kind of a tough stretch right there
2: so i guess one question i have and i feel pretty much everybody's asking this is why did they decide to make this coaching change right before a road trip that seems like kind of a jarring time to do this to a team
3: yeah i i, I, I agree i think the uh, from what tom rose said yesterday that the original thought was well we had kind of made up our mind that if this team didn't improve we were going to make a coaching change and uh, they were going to give him give give Gerard gallant the road trip to see how it went but uh, they were uh, they weren't happy with the way the team played in Carolina they had a third a second period where Carolina scored three quick goals end up winning the game three to two um, and they decided to make the move right then and there um, you know there's never a good time to do something like that they didn't want to fire him. Um, they wish this team was you know in first place in the Atlantic division, and none of this you know would have happened, but just one of those things, and that was their decision, and they made it and they made it uh right then and there and fired him on the spot so you
2: said that they wanted the team to do well, and obviously they didn't want to fire their head coach um a lot of uh things that I've been seeing, I guess it's largely just opinion, but it seems people are saying. Since um, Tom Rowe came in, new GM, it's pretty common that they a new general manager wants to bring in their own guy for a coach. Um, a lot of people are suggesting that, you know, why didn't they just let him go uh, during the summer when they made that entire shift? Is there any uh, substance behind that?
3: or I would think that they would have taken a serious PR hit for that. Um Let's not forget that Gerard Gallant has three years left on his contract. Very well respected within the organization. Very well respected within within that locker room. Those the players love him. The team is coming off they set a record in wins, record in points, won a division, and now you're going to fire the coach. Um, that would that would have been a PR nightmare for them. So I think their thought was. Let's see how this thing works. We know that there are going to be some concerns with with the new style that that the Panthers want to play as opposed to the style that the Gerard Gallant coaches. Um, It wasn't a good fit. It wasn't a perfect fit, but they felt like this team's talented enough that we we should be pretty good. Um, They're 11-10-1. They felt like it wasn't good enough, and, and that's why the change was made. So you mentioned there that the players are really, really upset. Is there anybody you talked
2: to in specific that had anything to say in regards to that? Not
3: not on the record, no. Uh, there, there are quite a few guys that, that uh, privately um, mentioned some things that they weren't very happy with the way this thing went down. They weren't happy with the way it was handled. weren't weren't happy that it had to happen at all. Um, some guys you know this morning just walking around kind of rolling their eyes at me you know kind of secretly like hey what's up with this you know um I've been around this team a long time I I <laughs> I, I you know I can I kind of know some of these guys personally and uh, they're not happy uh but they've had a day to overcome in their professionals I mean these are NHL players they need to rebound they need to bounce back um they need to be better and they know it. they're not happy with the, with the way they play they're not happy being 11 10 and one um you would some would say maybe this is a wake-up call uh i don't think so i think that they they just know that they need to be better and you know we'll see where they go from here
2: so um another thing i kind of wanted to know um from your experience being around the team is how do the players feel i mean obviously they're very aware that the teams i I referred to it earlier as an analytics renaissance that they're aware their organization is doing this how do the players feel about that
3: I think most of the guys understand some of the analytical things. Uh, you know, and I don't think the Panthers are going, you know, Tom Rowe was kind of saying, you know, we're not going crazy with it. We're, I mean, you know, you can understand. You look at the, uh, the analy- I'll, I'll give, okay, analytically, in, in the first round of the playoffs, the Florida Panthers dominated that series against the New York Islanders. Yep. They lost in series four to two. Uh, but on paper, they controlled the pace, they controlled the chances, they, everything that you could look at from an analytical standpoint. The Florida Panthers should have won that series, and truthfully, just even watching it, you would have said, boy, they were the better team in that series. The New York Islanders got the goals at the right time and won, and that's what hockey to a lot of people are about. Some people would say, "Hey, you know what? You know, we we look at the statistics of how that, that series went. We were very happy with the way it went. But the reality of it is you lost the series. So what what did it do? So um, I, I think a lot of the players realize that, that there's more to life than statistics. Uh, you can't completely rely on them. And I don't think the Florida Panthers are completely relying on statistics. I think you can't do that. I mean, you know, the game isn't played on, on paper. It's played on the ice. But there are a lot of analytical things that, that help. Uh, with your uh, looking at a team and trying to figure out a team and how they play. So there's definitely benefits to, to, to both ends of things. I think there's needs to be a happy medium.
2: One thing I find kind of funny is that uh, kind of the joke or the sentiment online, Twitter message boards, whatever is that you know Florida's going all in on the uh, on the stats thing and Tom Rowe they're kind of making a joke about uh this this move is just adding like this computer nerd to the uh, go behind the bench but Tom Rowe you know he's a 60 year old no. man who's uh no. coaching has coached he played in the NHL before he was the first american to score 30 goals in the league and everyone's turning this into a joke i don't quite understand
3: Tom Rowe yeah i, I think Tom Rowe maybe might be more accepted more more open minded about this uh new way of thinking but Tom Rowe is an old is you know He's older than than Gerard Gallant, and and, you know he's played he played in the NHL. Um, He's been around. He's coached you know on the in the bus leagues and everything. Um, He's a he's he's a hockey lifer, and uh, to say that that he's you know some kind of you know computer nerd or whatever, that's just not true. But I think he does realize the benefit of some of some of the new way of thinking, and, and and try and incorporate. As I said, the happy medium between what you see on film, what you see behind the bench coaching a team, and then what the printout tells you, this is what so-and-so did. Well, I saw that. He wasn't that good, but the paper says he is. Or a guy may may look, you know, look bad statistically and, and have two goals. Who knows? I mean, there's all kinds of different ways. You have to be able to discern the numbers from what you see on the ice and, and, and make your decisions that way, I, I feel. And I think that, they're not going fully into that, you know. They're not going to put the lineup together based on Corsi numbers. You know, they've got their team. They're they're gonna if, if guys aren't producing, they're not going to play.
2: Right. So um, another thing I kind of was wondering uh, since you have you you must have a, obviously a significantly better idea of the ownership group in Florida than I do. But uh, if this doesn't work and the team struggles mightily this year, next year, say. After they had their great year last year, how much rope is this ownership group going to give this new um, this new group and this 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 whole movement?
3: Well, I think it's not it's not something new. I think you look at the ownership group; um, they they've made their fortune on Wall Street studying mathematics and analytics and, and, and quick trading um, they've just basically brought their thought process of of, of using analytics to hockey um, yes analytics has been in hockey you know in baseball the money ball kind of thing um, they're just bringing what they learned in the, in the business to to the hockey side of things and um, I, I think this is how they've always thought about hockey they just you know we they were new to the game. They wanted to to, to have everything, you know, everything find its way. Um, but I, I think they're they're dedicated to this because this is the kind of this is the way they, they run their business. So uh, it's just you know more you know more more of the same.
2: Right, and they've definitely made a pretty major investment with some of the uh, moves and signings they made last year. I mean, Keith Yandel, Jason DeMere is going to be around for each. 5 plus years they locked up virtually every you know young player they have so this isn't really a thing they can they can step out of just like that
3: no no it's not and you know a lot of these guys are you know this is the, yeah, this is a new team i mean they 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 changed up everything last year um you had a lot of new faces and it's just going to take some time for everybody to to come together so Again, a lot of lot of time left in the season,
2: right? So we talked a lot about the organization, the players, how they feel about this. How about the fan base? I mean, the Panthers have only made the playoffs five times, I think, in twenty two seasons, uh, off the top of my head, and they last year again, like That's you said, correct. like you said, they had uh, their best season ever. So the fans are finally, you know, seeing a winning team, and then this happens. What what are they thinking here?
3: Well, they'll be okay. I mean, I, I think you know, I, I think the, the the whole move didn't look very good. Um, I think it's been universally panned by the the national media, the local media, um, you know, fans and everything. But, but now the Panthers are all on the same page. I think that's the way management's looking at it. Uh, everybody's together on this moving forward. Um, if the team wins, everything will be fine. Gerard Gallant is going to find another job. He'll be fine. Um, if the Florida Panthers start winning, they'll be fine. um, You know, if this thing goes south, then, 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 then I think they will have lost some people because they were like, why did you do that? Why did you change everything up? You you know, we had something good going and you messed it up. That hasn't happened yet. There's 62 tank games left, but, um, that will definitely be a concern. And there's a lot of pressure on the Florida Panthers right now.
2: Right. So I'll admit that I, you know, being a guy from Edmonton, I don't really watch the Florida Panthers all too much, but the, um, Gallant was given a lot of praise for what went down last year and how successful the team was. You, personally, as someone who knows the team inside out, how much credit do you think he, as a coach, really deserves for that success? Yeah. Is it Yeah. Like
3: yeah, he deserves a lot of credit. I think, you know, obviously they're the... The roster was improved over the over the past couple of years, but he kept that team in a pretty even keel. He's a coach that knew what buttons to push, and he knew when to push a guy, knew when to back off, knew when to to, to not say anything. And he was a very player oriented coach. He played a long time in the National Hockey League, had a lot of experience, learned a lot from his first stint as a head coach in Columbus and his days as an assistant in Montreal and coaching you know the 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 Sea Dogs in the junior league. So I think. Gerard Gallant became a better coach by the time he got to the Panthers, and I think he deserves a lot of credit. I think a lot of people have given him credit for the job that he did with the Panthers, and that's what makes this kind of surprising. I mean, his first two years in Florida were fine. This year was fine. So there, you know, to, to make a change like this, you would think that the team had lost seven, eight games in a row when that was not the case.
2: Right. So I guess, yeah, I guess the vibe that I'm getting from you is uh, – People surrounding the Florida Panthers don't panic. Things, you know, are probably going to be okay. Is that right? You feel you still feel confident with the team, short, long term? We'll
3: see. I I think it's a good team. I mean, I'm with the owners. I think it is a talented team. I think it's a good bunch of players. Um, I think they will be fine. But uh, you know, it doesn't take much to, to, to tear something apart. And if this team doesn't buy into the to the new the new thinking with their new head coach we'll see but i mean like i said today somewhere else on the radio who knows man this team could be in the stanley cup finals this team could collapse we don't know which way it's going to go with them right now so again 60 games to go time will tell what happens
2: cool is there anything else uh you'd like to talk about or add?
3: i'm good man
2: awesome thanks a lot for joining us we'll i finish appreciate my it. coffee <laughs> <laughs> all right everybody all right. that was uh george richard from the, george richards from the miami herald uh Thanks for joining us again.
3: Uh, Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you later.